All right. Tea is loaded up. We are ready to podcast. I like tea. I also like tea. I don't care who knows. And you know what? I'm out of this kind of tea. What so kind is this? Look, it's the cinnamon kind. Oh. My favorite kind. All right. Looking so, forward to another boulder trip near you. Exactly. Yeah. I know I could order it online. Yeah, but that's lame. We're right next to it. It kinda. is. Yeah, I don't want to do that. It's a fun trip. I want to go to Boulder, though. Um, you know what? Qua. We could talk about our new little work setup. Uh, We're oh, finding it. You know what? Useful. I forgot that that's new. Kind of. It I'm is. Already, kinda... I'm already into it. <laughs> You've done it for one day. Full one full day. It already feels good. <laughs> you know. I'm just. All right. I'm already there. Dear listener, I don't know how much interest this is going to be to you, but we're interested in it and there are some productivity implications. So we'll talk about it. Uh, Ever since we moved to Denver and for me for the past five years, I have either worked at home or in coffee shops. That's basically it. Occasionally we'll go find the odd library. Um, In college, I could work on campus or whatever. But ever since moving to Denver, and I guess being an entrepreneur for as long as I have been, working at home doesn't feel good. And I don't think it does for you either. Uh, very occasionally. Most of the time, no. Yeah. Sometimes I can do a little, bunch of little small things or one particular thing that I would focus on anywhere because right. it's just in tune with what I want. But usually feeling working at home is Well, it's all about the context. Bad. Home is where you come home and you make dinner and you hang out with Ashley and yeah. play golf story on the Switch. Like that's the purpose of home. And it's very similar for me. Now this is home, but this is the studio. So the context of the studio is to record things. Yeah. We're not hanging out here all the time. Mm-hmm. And coffee shops have worked pretty well for the most part. But I guess there's, there's just something, there's like a feeling that when you go to a coffee shop, it isn't a place that is explicitly to work at. So I decided to do an experiment where I'm going to pay for office space essentially. Yeah. And um, for those of you who listen to Cortex, which is one of my favorite podcasts, I have not rented a literal office like CGP Grey did, but we do have a membership essentially to a co-working place where we can just go there and work. And I don't know about you, but I love the idea that if I procrastinate, then I'm literally spending money to do that procrastination. Oh, yeah. Like it is it is a direct connection. If I every minute I waste there is money out of my bank account pretty much. Yeah. See, for me, it's more about the literal separation because working at home, one, I don't usually work as well unless it's a very particular task because Mm -hmm. I'm also at home. But two, I don't get to relax as well because I'm always in my office, which, which means that like the first day we went to this new place and then, and then I was coming back on the, on the light rail transit train thing. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, huh, I'm going home. That, that means I'm done working? Yeah. Like I'm done now. Like I don't I'm not going to do some more later. I, wh- what's going on here? And it it's just it was great. I got to be honest, I have not gotten that feeling yet. So, because yesterday probably cuz you on, keep making yourself work <laughs> afterward, Tom. <laughs> yesterday on the train, I was like you know what? I'm so excited that I can go home and then pop over to the tea shop and do a couple more <laughs> hours. Yeah. It was actually pretty good though, because Anna hasn't had the opportunity to go do work with me for a while because she has a full-time job now. So when she got home from work, I was like, Hey, you oh, want to yeah. go get like a tea infused <clears throat> cocktail and do a couple hours of work at the tea shop? And she was like, yes, I do. So yeah, that was kind of nice. But the commute 
I have realized that the commute enables me to read books and almost forces me to do so because there's not really any other form of work I could be doing on the train. Oh, yeah. Like I could just stare into space, I suppose, but I'm not going to do that. That's so what I, I do. think I might I'm end up reading at more the books. surroundings, you know, I'm one with the I earth. did notice you were doing that. Yeah. And who knows, who knows? Maybe I'll get an audio book and just stare out into space as well, but I'll at least be reading in some form, quote unquote reading at least. Yeah. Yeah. So that is one nice benefit of a 20 minute train ride is it's like double that up back and forth. You get 40 minutes of reading time per day. And while I'm often good at reading, if I don't have a commute, sometimes I will skip it because I want to work or for some other reason. So anyway, long story short, um, renting an office seems like a pretty interesting decision. Yeah. And it's potentially very productive. Oh, also, actually, on topic for this episode, renting an office allows us to potentially be more social instead of isolated yes. in our homes. Mm-hmm. Where uh, this this is easy to take for granted, but at my old job, I like loved the team there. I loved talking to everybody there, yeah. and it was great. But working at home, even though we have a team, I don't like see them. There's no small talk. There's no hey, what's going on today? There's just you basically talk to me. I'm going to do my job and actually, today, and then I'm going to sit in the same place and yeah. slowly, slowly cripple myself socially. Mm-hmm. You know, it's So that's another benefit of the office. Given that we're talking about social skills today, do you think that your social skills deteriorate because you haven't used them in a while? I would say that, at least in my experience, yes for a lot of them because I'm – quite the introvert. I have a lot of problems approaching people or talking to new people and, mm-hmm. and at least feeling good about it. Because even if I do it, sometimes I'll be questioning some stupid word that I said that means, means nothing to anyone else. But I'm like, but I said it with, with that particular ad for about a no, is that weird? Well, actually but, the intonation you use on that word yeah. made me think oh, that no. you actually secretly hate me. You got it. So I'm going to subconsciously ignore you from now on. But the more I do it, the more I get out there and sort of succeed at talking to people, the more confidence I build, which allows me to talk to people even better the next time. And if I don't, that sort of, yeah, I'm good at this, Mm -hmm. falls down. I lose my social confidence. And while I could still approach somebody, I might not feel good about it even afterward. Yeah, that makes sense. And I would agree. Even though I'm more of an extrovert than you are, um, clearly, if I go a long time without going to a conference or going to an event or going to some place where I have to meet new people, the next time I do it, it is a little more uncomfortable to approach someone and talk to them and hold a conversation. So really just it's it's keeping the skill sharp yeah, it's pretty just much. like all the other skills. Mm-hmm. And actually that's something I wanted to highlight. So today <clears throat> we are talking about social skills and social confidence and how to build both. But I wanted to point out that it's called social skills for a reason because it's something that you can practice and build up. Yeah. I think in the social realm, more than almost any other realm, we can look at some people who are good at talking to people, at holding a conversation, being the life of the party. And we just think like they're naturally that way. And the whole introvert extrovert divide doesn't help to break down that perception either. We just naturally think that person is a social butterfly and I'm a wallflower. Yeah. And we, while there we are perks of being one. Yeah. We attribute like a, a fixed personality almost. So this is one of those areas where it's very helpful to adopt that growth mindset and to believe that you can improve because you can. Um, for those of you who watched my, what was it, the uh, the personality test video I did 
Yeah. Where I got ENTJ as my personality type. I've always gotten ENTJ. I think I've taken that test three or four times over the years. Um, I had to take it as part of a job. And I know it's not ultra scientific. Um, but it's fun. It is fun. And I find it to be an interesting and somewhat accurate representation of some of the aspects of my personality, at least. But the thing I did notice is that this time that I took it, I was far more extroverted than the last time I took it. Last time I was like right on the cusp of introvert and extrovert. Mm. And this time it said, you are 83% extroverted. Uh, which was interesting because I still feel like I get my energy from alone time, like solo pursuits. Mm. And then I expend energy while talking to people. So I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird. Maybe maybe there's like a introvert extrovert spectrum on where you get your energy and also on just your level of comfort talking with people. Maybe you're just an absurdly overconfident introvert. So the test doesn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. Maybe the test just doesn't. You're like, I want to be alone, but also I'm awesome guys. What's up? (laughs) So then you, you sound like an introvert or an extrovert. Maybe that's what it is. And it's not that I want to be alone, at least not all the time, but I do tend to like when I go to VidCon or when I go to um, any of any other conference, I will go out, I'll talk to people. I'm perfectly confident doing so. It'll be great. I'll be very energetic and energized by the conversations I have. But inevitably, there's like maybe four or five hours into it. There's going to come a time where I'm like, I need to go back to my hotel room or I need to go find a coffee shop and just it does check a email exhausting. for a while or something. Like I can't do the full day networking thing. It's not for me. Fair. But yeah, I, did, I just wanted to emphasize that this is a skill you can build um, for me. And I would guess that you would agree with this. I used to be very introverted, very shy, and feel very awkward going up to talk to new people. Um, I definitely did not have the greatest <laughs> social life growing up, no. Mm-hmm. I'm still introverted, but I used to be like, you know, picked on, didn't want to talk to anybody, wasn't very happy, didn't have any friends for certain portions. Really didn't leave my house for a long time until I was like... 16 and then eventually I started leaving the house and getting friends and stuff. So definitely not that social before. But did you get bullied? Uh yes. Okay. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I, I would imagine that it's awesome. I actually got but bullied. But also a lot. if any of those people are here, what's up? What's up, y'all? I don't care. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> we should hang out. I got bullied a lot in school, actually. Yeah. Because I was a very awkward kid. Um and I think I think I got bullied because I really, really wanted to fit in and I would try to, but I would um, always like do it in the way where you overthink it and you end up just looking really, really awkward. And then, of course, sixth grade boys are not understanding about that. They just decide to pick on you more. And it was not fun. Hmm. Like it, it was pretty bad. I was like afraid to go to school at one point. Um, and th- this is like this is a point of contention for a lot of people. But my parents said, like, the only way you're going to deal with this is if you confront it head on. So like when people would try to pick fights with me, I would just have to engage it. Mm. See, I think it. the only way only way to do it is to succeed so much and then suddenly rub it in their faces and make them feel horrible about there their life go. choices. Yeah, and then you show up at your 10-year high school reunion yeah. and you're like a 300-pound bodybuilder. Yeah, you're wearing like a diamond suit 
You got the diamond suit with real diamonds on it. And it's built for a bodybuilder. You know, it was tailored very specifically for you with extra diamonds. Which means, you know, Johnny Depp's diamond suit. Because that was Johnny Depp, right? Oh, yeah. He, his was a billion dollars. If you're a big bodybuilder, like that. that's going to be a $2 billion diamond suit. Yeah. So you're showing up high school graduation, $2 billion diamond suit. Just what's up? Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's how you do it. You make yourself a horribly negative person. That's how you win. There you go. Yeah. All all of your life's <laughs> ambition is fueled by the thought of rubbing it in the noses of all the people who yes, ever slighted I'm fueled you. Fueled by hate. It's like the song Skater Boy, basically in a nutshell. Uh, I don't remember the all the lyrics to that. Let's see. I mean the whole story he was is a like skater boy. He was a skater she boy. Said, she see said you later boy. Yeah. Okay. And then he becomes then what? a rock star. Yeah. Oh wow. Though it, I, I the song really isn't part. about That's him like twist, rubbing you know? it in her nose, but it, it is a little bit about like, I think Avril Lavigne is kind of making fun of her for rejecting him. Hmm. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast where we analyze Avril Lavigne songs from 13, 14 years ago. Something, something <laughs> like that. Welcome to the podcast where we clearly show our age talking, That's talking true. about Avril Lavigne. That's true. Hey, we had that song on the car playlist. That's yeah. why it's in my head. Well, it's and a good that's song. Ashley's fault. You know? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but I digress. Yeah, I was an awkward kid in I school. Digressy. I got bullied a lot. Um, I didn't know how to talk to anybody, especially girls. Had no idea how to do it. Uh, and when I would think about talking to a girl that I liked, I would just mull over like infinite ways of talking to her and try to figure out the perfect thing to say and then never say anything. Well, that, that was the perfect one, I bet. Did it work? Uh, no. No. Spoilers. It did not work any time. And somehow along the way, I went from that to at least being comfortable enough to put my face on the Internet and talk with some confidence. Yeah. Oh, also, another thing is when I was a kid, um, I did not enunciate clearly at all. Yeah, mush mouth. Yeah, that's what my dad would call me all the yeah, time. He called me mush mouth and he would threaten to put marbles in my mouth all Which, the time. I don't see why that would help. Uh, You're just going to choke on that? marbles. Don't they do that in My Fair Lady? I don't have any idea. I'm pretty sure in My Fair Lady. I don't know that, what that is. You know what My Fair Lady is? Do you have a fair lady? No, it's a movie. I don't watch movies, have Tom. Have you ever seen Pygmalion? Or like, no, why would I watch that? Actually, I prefer Pygmalion to My have Fair Lady. Have you watched Dragon Ball Super? Because it's more I've important I've watched the first few episodes of Dragon no, Ball No, don't Super watch the first. Watch really the second bad. part. Watch the second season. <laughs> the first one's an overstretching of the first movie, but the second part gets hilarious, you know? I think it was the most stretched out padded anime that I have ever seen. It was caricaturing Dragon Ball Z. It, it kind of was. <laughs> it really was. Uh, I, I digress again. In in My Fair Lady, it's a movie about... Actually, you know what? I have to be honest. I have not watched all of My Fair Lady, but I have watched all of Pygmalion. You're here telling me about watching My Fair Lady or My something? Fair Lady is about... It's a story that is the same as Pygmalion's story. Basically, there's a, a girl who is a commoner, quote-unquote. She has a street accent, essentially. And okay. a speech pathologist or a speech doctor or whatever he is, very confident one at that, says that I can turn you into basically royalty. I can make you pass for royalty. Oh. So she goes and works with him in both movies and he teaches her how to speak like the upper classes. Interesting. Know. Very fancy people. Well, I've never considered monocles. Never considered marbles in the mouth. I just—I would be really yeah. scared that I would accidentally eat a marble. Don't eat the marbles. What if I do? That's though? rule number one. Don't swallow the marbles. And also, 
speak clearly what with the marbles. Hungry, hungry hippos. Now, I don't know if current day speech pathology uses the marbles in the yeah, mouth technique, I don't, I don't but I'm pretty sure they used it in that movie. Interesting. And my dad would okay, okay. Well, to that use that it makes sense me. now. Yes, I don't know if it's a problem you had or not. Um, but that was a problem I had. No, I was probably fine with enunciation. Okay. I don't recall that being an issue unless I blacked it out. You know, that might be true. That was a big problem that I had. Now for that problem, the way I solved it is I purposely put myself in situations where I had to speak in public. The first being the public speaking class in high school had to take that. I think that was actually required, but there was also a club called business professionals of America. And there were these competitions you could sign up for. Some were just like code a website or take this HTML test along with a bunch of other people and you'll get a ranking. But some were make a business plan and you have to pitch a business idea to a panel of judges. And so I did those ones. And then I also ran for state office where I had to give a speech and make a campaign poster and actually go and, you know, grease palms and shake hands and all the political stuff. And then once I got elected as a treasurer, I had to make speeches on a stage in front of 500 ish people. So not perfect at first, but when you're up on stage and you realize 500 people are listening to you, you put a little bit more effort into your enunciation. Okay. Yeah. So that has helped. Uh, podcasting has helped a lot. It's a good practice. You know, 181 times. This is 181 episodes. 181 yeah. times. It's more than that. Well, I've yeah, probably done, all the other ones I've on probably LMM. probably 200 Listen Money Matters episodes at this point because we were three times a week when we started. That's so many. And I've probably been on 40 to 50 other people's podcasts as a guest as well. I mean, it would be kind of a challenge for you to do that much and not improve. Yeah. Honestly. Like, it, well, yes, that's true. <laughs> I could have just never improved, but I don't think anybody would have listened. You could have never improved. I just think it would have been difficult to not at least improve a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of the podcast, not only did it help me with enunciation, but because the podcast was largely an interview show at first and because Listen Money Matters is still an interview show, that actually built a lot of social confidence because not only did I have to talk to a stranger every week, I had to make a show out of it. Yeah. So I couldn't just have a fun little conversation. I had to make sure that it was entertaining. Yeah, and you kind of had to take the lead, make sure things were going the right direction because mm-hmm. it was like a podcast episode. Yep. You can't just let there be like a... Exactly. We can cut that out in post. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually kind of fun doing the podcast the way we do it now because there is no cutting it out in post. No, we better freestyle good. Yeah, I know, right? What you see is what you get. And I don't, I don't really know if that's better or worse because I know some podcasters who are just super meticulous about cutting every little tiny pause and vocal stumble and everything. And then we don't anymore. We used to. I yeah, mean, used I to put like 700 edits in one episode. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, I don't. Don't want to. <laughs> and like, the funny thing it took is, like five hours. Yeah, it took you five hours. My the hand funny hurt. thing is, the show is like twice as popular now than it was back then. Well, I think there's a higher pressure to perform. I think there is. Yeah. So it that slight pressure allows us to try to bring out better conversation and and think better on our feet. There you go. Well, yeah, performance pressure yeah. that works too. Anyway, I feel like we haven't um, built much of a structure around this episode. Uh, it's cool. We got timestamps. That's know? true. We do have timestamps. Skip this part. Yeah. So, well, this is the part where Tom tells you how to not be a mush mouth. <laughs> Fair. But what did you write down for building social oh, skills? Oh, I got a bunch of stuff here. Should I just go through all of it? What, what are we doing here? What do you mean? Pick one. We'll riff on it. All right. Um, first thing. First thing I got in here is um, grooming. 
Grooming yes. is important for your confidence. Mm-hmm. And that um, basically, I if I'm if I'm wearing like my laziest clothes, uh, gym shorts, flip flops, uh, like a white t shirt. And I, I, I have in the last year, like worn that to go to Target or something when I messed up my laundry and I was like, I got to get this first. It's a whatever. But I desperately don't want to run into anyone I know. Yep. I don't want anyone <laughs> to recognize me. I don't even want to talk to cashiers. I'm just like, don't look at me like this. Stop. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm, I'm wearing clothes that I like, which I try to do on, like on the podcast, I like this sweater. I'm trying to wear clothes that make me feel more confident. And that's important. And it's not shallow to care about how you look because you can make it shallow, but caring about how you present yourself to the world is also not shallow. Mm -hmm. So if I didn't shower, I didn't wear good clothes, I didn't trim or shave or whatever, and I just let my fingernails grow until they were dragon claws, then then I'm just – I'm not going to feel as awesome about myself. Other people probably won't perceive me to be nearly as awesome – and yeah. therefore, both of us think of me less. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's not good. Well, one thing about grooming is it lets you take advantage of the halo effect, which is yeah. for people who don't know, the halo effect is essentially this phenomenon in psychology where people's first impression of you, often that is formed in like half of a second, forms the basis for how they're going to see everything else you do. Yeah. And there was a really interesting study done. I think it was reported in the book um, Thinking Fast and Slow where some people were given a description of a person. It was just six characteristics, and the ordering was the only thing that was changed. So one group was said, um, Brian is loyal, hardworking, um, smart, but also envious, and a couple other bad ones. And then they were asked to basically talk about their impression of Brian, and it was largely positive. Like, he's a you know, loyal, hardworking guy. He's got a few flaws, but that's fine. And then another group was asked to form an impression about somebody named, let's say it's Andrew. I don't remember the name. Okay. And it was the exact same characteristics, but they were flipped. Oh, so they heard the bad so ones first. Andrew's envious and you know a couple of the bad ones, but he's also loyal and hardworking and smart. Their overall impression of Andrew was much more negative, even though they had the exact same characteristics. It's all about the ordering. So if you dress well and you present yourself in a, you know, a clean way and you're wearing clothes that make you feel good, then you're going to build those great first impressions. Yeah. And then if you, I don't know, trip and fall into an apple pie or something later on, people are going to be like, it'll be better. That's also, cool, man. Also the juxtaposition of the apple pie with like your brand new suit. That's true. Yeah. It's going to be good. Yeah. You're, but, you're but also notice that we're not saying you have to wear like, you don't need to wear like a suit every day. It's mm. just clothes that make you feel good. If, yeah. if for whatever reason you can rock the flip flops, gym shorts look, go right ahead. But I can't, I don't like it makes me feel bad and the context I'm out in doesn't fit for it. If you're doing it, you know, and you feel confident, you go into the gym, that clothes works fine. To me, flip-flops and gym shorts just seems lazy. Yeah. And that's the thing I would say in most cases, it's probably not going to fit, but I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to feel like I didn't put any effort into my appearance because then I, I don't take the rest of what I'm doing seriously. And again, I wouldn't want to run into somebody I know because it's just like, I'm, I'm in my just roll out of bed stage essentially. Well, it's the same reason that I get dressed in the morning, even mm-hmm. even when I am working from home. Even yeah. if I'm by my, I don't work in my pajamas all day. That makes me feel horrible. Mm-hmm. I don't get any real work done, and I don't take the day seriously. Yeah, and I'm I'm probably gonna make a video about this. Um, I've been struggling with whether or not I should make this video because a lot of times I'll read something, and my first impression is that's useful, 
And then the doubt creeps in about, oh, that's actually just obvious. And um, this is one of those cases. So I was reading the other day, Elon Musk did an AMA on Reddit. And somebody asked him, Elon, what is your number one most impactful habit that you practice on a daily basis? And he just answers with one word, one word showering. That's it. Now, Fair. I don't know if he was just putting that there to troll people or not, but I read that and I was like, that's actually a good answer because Elon Musk is an entrepreneur who doesn't have a boss. Maybe he's got a board of directors or something, but he is kind of his own boss. And as somebody who is my own boss, I have known for several years that because I don't have a drill instructor or a manager or somebody telling me what to do, it's much easier for me to slack off or not take my work seriously if I don't take my appearance seriously in the morning. So having a routine where I shower and where I dress well, where I fix my hair, all that stuff, while it could maybe seem superficial, it actually makes me take my work more seriously. Well, it's kind of like in a your own identity kind of thing. Like when I'm wearing the clothes, I think my identity is, yeah, I'm a professional guy. I'm about to do some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I do good work instead of I mean, I guess I can program or something. Uh, I'll just do it in bed. It's it's yeah, exactly. more about how you see yourself, and it's very important. And this also seems like one of those things that it seems obvious at first. But when I think back to my earlier days, the people I looked up to when I started this were the people who could travel the world and do whatever they want. And I looked up to people like Mark Zuckerberg, who was famous for just wearing a hoodie. And he was he's kind of like the poster boy for the whole new school of startup founders who don't care about the suits and everything. I think that was kind of a reactionary phase, maybe in the early 2000s to late 2000s, like all the IBM suit people from the eighties. And there was really this, just like wear a suit and be a powerful dude with a red tie culture back in the eighties, especially in like New York city. So I think a lot of the Silicon Valley culture was a reaction to that. Basically say like, we can build something better than what you've built and we can wear hoodies while doing it. But when I started to take my appearance more seriously, I started to feel a lot better about myself and people can see the shift maybe like a year ago where I grew my hair out and I started wearing better clothes and started looking for shirts that fit and stuff like that. Like for a long time, I didn't care because I was in the mentality of I can just be a Zuckerberg. I can wear my hoodie and my Iowa State t-shirt with a stain on it because that doesn't affect my ability to write good code. But in the end, it does. Yeah. And it has the benefit of also making people build a better impression of me when they meet me. Yeah. So that helps. Yeah. Now, this self-identity thing, the grooming thing, something else I got written down here is that it doesn't it doesn't only apply to your clothing, it also can apply to your living space. Okay. So, I feel a lot better about myself if my room at the very least is relatively orderly. It doesn't have to be like perfectly clean, but also reflects me. Yeah. Because Forming an identity is kind of difficult, and when you've got things that kind of remind you, yeah, that is who I want to be, that is who I am, and it can be more motivating right. than if my room was a complete dumpster heap and there was just no way to know who I am. You walk mm-hmm. in there and your first impression of me based on my room, which is also something that will be formed if anyone comes to hang out, yeah. is Martin's a slob rather than, oh, Martin likes books and he has a lot of Pokemon. I guess that's cool, mm-hmm. but I'm cool with that. And so like it works out. Yeah. So I guess if we were to try to boil this all down, you need to have a habit of kind of like resetting yourself back to that neutral or that, that high point yeah. because there's always deterioration. 
your body gets dirty, your workspace gets dirty, everything gets kind of in disarray and you have to work to keep that maintained. Yeah. Pretty much. And, and your identity and a lot of the things we want to be are abstract, mm-hmm. but it's very easy to understand stuff that's concrete. That's why we use metaphors. So if you can externalize the things that you think about yourself and that you care about yourself through your appearance or the appearance of your space or the kind of activities you do, you've created concrete evidence of what you believe yourself to be. And it'll be mm-hmm. way easier to say, yeah, I am that kind of person, aren't I? Whereas if like it's all abstract stuff, honesty, uh, judgment, character, like all of those things are hard to picture. Yeah. But saying, oh, I like to read books. That has a bunch of implications about what kind of person you are, but the books are concrete. Mm-hmm. So it reinforces it without any confusion. I remember reading a blog post once where this guy was like, um, we're not friends until I've looked at your bookshelf, which I thought was kind of a cool post. And then it made me want to like build a cool bookshelf. Yeah. So, which I did do. <laughs> Uh, this also reminds me that social confidence is its own thing, but there's also self-confidence, which is more foundational. Yeah. And a lot of your social confidence comes from your self-confidence. And I remember you and I having a talk a few years ago about a friend of ours who we eventually figured out he had such low self-confidence because there was really no internal foundation for confidence to rest on. All of his confidence was kind of bundled up in his tastes and the things he liked and also whether or not the people around him also liked those things. So it's almost like he needed an external confirmation that the things he liked were also liked by other people. Mm. And like I think you and I talked to him about that. It's just like if you're bundling up your confidence in other people's opinions, not even of you, but of the things you like, then it's going to be volatile all the time. Because if you like a certain movie or a book or something, and I'm like, I hate that book. I'm not trying to hurt you. I might just hate that book. Yeah. But if you take personal offense to that and you let that kill your confidence, then like that's, there's no, there's nowhere you can really go. Yeah. That's from there without particularly dangerous. Yeah. Because media is like a thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, Plenty of people are going to just completely hate on some random media or love it. They're willing to go to extremes because it's not a person. It's just a movie. And that movie is really dumb. And I hate that movie. And it's the worst. But like you wouldn't want to say that to the director. You wouldn't be like your work is dumb. It's the worst. You'd probably dial it (laughs) back a bit. But with a movie, you're willing to say all the worst stuff because it's a movie, not a person thing. Yeah, it's a creation. Yeah. Yeah. I probably wouldn't say to the director, but if there's a movie I don't like. Like the Tim and Eric movie? I don't like Whoa. it. Whoa. <laughs> Before sorry, this Martin, becomes a horrible argument. But I don't like that movie. <laughs> Listen, you should still appreciate it for the ridiculous and horrid should, things should that I, it accomplishes. <laughs> should I appreciate that movie? I don't know. I, You know what? I don't have any. I don't. I'm not sure. Anyway, building self-confidence will inevitably help you build social confidence. And uh, in the show notes, there's a video I made that we can link to all about how I built my self-confidence. That that might even be another topic for a future episode, but there's a video out there about that. Yeah. Uh, What else you got? I have some things too if you don't have anything. Okay. Well, um, to round out this here section that that I've been talking about, basically building your perception of yourself so that you can then bring that perception to others. The last big thing that I did that helped me uh, view myself as the kind of person I want to be is 
I think I wrote an article about it a long time ago. I don't know if it's good, but it's out there. And it's how Twitter actually helped me take myself seriously. Oh, yeah. Because on social media, on Facebook, basically, especially because it's in a group scenario and Facebook is mostly all of my old friends, you know, Mm -hmm. I only ever posted things that were dumb or mildly witty or a stupid shared joke or nothing serious. I would, I actually didn't want to post anything serious. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm really passionate about languages because I, with my particular group of friends, it's usually weird to be so sincere and upfront about something you care about. It's all Mm -hmm. like, and this happens in, if you're hanging out in a group too, everything can get kind of funneled into your shared experiences and stupid jokes and rituals that you all perform. But it's much easier to go in depth on a person to person basis so Mm -hmm. that you can actually be sincere. And so I had my Twitter account set up at that time and I started using it to talk almost exclusively about the things I like. Sirius Martin is over here. Sirius Martin has actual ambitions, actual passions, and he's willing to talk about them sincerely with people while Facebook remained stupid nonsense shared jokes so that everybody would say, huh, oh, I remember that. Wow. But with Twitter, I wanted to be like a new person who took himself seriously because if yeah. you hide behind jokes all day long, unless you're a comedian, it's it's usually damaging. And I would say plenty of comedians probably also got some damage <laughs> that, that they're hiding that makes all of their jokes funny. But mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to take yourself – It's it's hard to be confident if you – aren't willing to be serious about yourself. Yeah. If you think that you're no better than a collection of jokes and that's the best thing you have to offer, then why would you try on anything real? Yeah. You might fail and look dumb. And if the only interaction you ever have with people is just the shared memes and jokes and experiences, then you're never reaffirming or building your own internal confidence. Yeah. Because you you can't build internal confidence on like, oh, I have this fun inside joke with these group of people that I can just say, like, you know, play the tape and then I'll kind of laugh and chuckle. Yeah. That doesn't help you grow as a person. Yeah, And you can't grow your relationships that way either. So if mm-hmm. you're, if you're like confidence is down because you don't have any close friends, you, you're going to build closer friends with some level of vulnerability at some yeah. point. Sure. There will be shared jokes and stupid things and fun activities, but occasionally with the people that you are closest to, you are you're more likely to share like a weakness, something, something that you wouldn't like put on your resume, you know, something that doesn't make you look good, Mm -hmm. but that is real. And then it's a lot of people will respect if you're willing to share your weakness and be honest about it because there's so much pressure to pretend that Mm -hmm. you're the ultimate perfect flawless human, especially with social media. Yeah. But at the same time, (laughs) posting all your flaws on social media can come across as like needy or like, pity me please but in a one-on-one basis that same thing can end up just building the relationship better yeah exactly i was actually having a conversation with my mom about this um and we were were talking about like why so many people are depressed and of course there are a zillion reasons for this and some in the water we're on the internet caveats about i'm not a psychologist or whatever needs to be said here but the thing that the at least the aspects that I think affect this and cause this, uh, at least in part, that we were talking about, is number one, the fact that we've built this society where nobody really needs anybody else on a really strong basis anymore, like biologically or for survival purposes at least. 
because everyone goes into these institutions and then they go get a job and you go to your job and you do work and you your work kind of results in indirectly your survival is guaranteed because you get paid and then you go to the grocery store and it's not like you're out there like harvesting crops with other people and making a dinner for the community it's like no nah, you just buy a few things you mm. say hey how's it going and no i don't need a receipt to the cashier you don't need teamwork there's no like real need for teamwork anymore at least on a survival basis so unless you have some sort of higher calling or something that you're very interested in then you can feel kind of isolated and on the same note with that isolation in mind a lot of times because we often hang out in groups and have these just shared shallow experiences where we just come up with inside jokes and memes or play board games or whatever it is that can be fun but it almost never results in you having a deep conversation with yeah. somebody else on a regular basis. So I think this plagues adults more than it plagues kids because kids at least have parents a lot of the times. But as you get older and older, there's a trend towards isolation if you don't fight against it actively. And there's a trend towards never really directly needing or being needed. Yeah. Which I think this is one of the reasons why the programs where they give um, prisoners a puppy to raise are so successful because now there's That's something nice. that really depends on you. And that can kind of unlock some things that you haven't thought about in a long time. Yeah. So where I was going with this originally, um, and this this should probably be a video, is if you want to build deeper friendships and also probably build your social confidence and your confidence in yourself, stop always inviting the whole group to do things. Yeah. Because I noticed that when we moved to Denver, it, I feel that we were pretty fortunate to kind of stumble into a new friend group really fast. I was really afraid because a lot of people online, as I was researching moving to Denver, said that it's hard to meet people in Denver. People don't easily form like close friendships and a lot of people feel lonely. And I was like, well, I probably won't have that because I'm a naturally social person and I'm an entrepreneur and I can travel and all that. But I was still a little bit afraid of it. So I was relieved when we met this really cool group of new people that we all yeah, get that along. Was pretty fortunate and with. quick. But what I noticed is for the first like several months, almost always we would get the entire group together and we'd all come over. We'd play Jackbox games or yeah, we'd hang jokes. out and make stupid jokes. And while fun, it was like five months in and I was like, I don't really know any of these people that well. You can still feel isolated even when you're like you got 20 people around you and you're yeah. like, yeah, these are my friends. But I could have been swapped in for anybody else who would have just laughed at that same thing. Exactly. No one yeah. would have noticed. And, and because we moved here with you and actually, you know, and Anna was here too, like my best friend moved with me. Yeah. So, so luckily it was fine. That was a nice starting place. But I also realized like I have this whole new group of friends and I don't really know any of them well. If I were to, you know, ask myself like, what is that person really like, really into what are their hobbies and their interests and passions? I'm not exactly sure. So when I went hiking with one person and climbed a 14er. Or we went and climbed uh, Pikes Peak a few months ago with Amar, just him. Like that's the kind of experience that results in those deeper conversations because the the shared funny jokes, they only last a few seconds. And when there's only two of you, you can't come it, up it with many of them. It doesn't keep echoing into more jokes about yeah. the same jokes. So you naturally start to talk about things that actually matter. And then you come away feeling like you actually know that person a bit more. And you might end up talking about some of the things that uh, are your weaknesses or things from your past that are not like just the the stuff you post on Facebook. Yeah. And, and the you know second better. you both share like a weakness or you find that you both share a weakness, mm -hmm. bond. 
or like an you're suddenly much closer if you're like, oh, that's I didn't know that people like that. I don't talk about it a lot. You like it or yeah, I have that problem, too. That's huh. I'm not the only one. Basically, anytime yeah. there's the I'm not the only one, you, you bond. And it's hard to do that in a group. Because well, I remember we were all at that sushi dinner. Yeah. And then you and Amar found out that you were both really into linguistics. And there was almost like this deep linguistics conversation forming. But I could kind of tell there we was a bit of it. tension in the room because nobody else knew what a linguodental fricative was or whatever. Is that even a word? I would, I would yeah. just use that one. You can have a linguodental fricative. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can never tell if I'm making these up or if I actually have heard them. And well, most of the pieces can be interchanged to represent different sounds. So as long as you're not negative dental, that that one, that one's not real. That one's out of order. But yeah, like you guys kind of had to cut your conversation short because you felt like you're excluding all the other people in the group. And that's just the nature of groups. Like if you get into any sort of intense discussion about any one thing, you are going to exclude the majority of the group unless it's, you know, unless you're. I guess the one exception is if you go to a meeting that is for enthusiasts of a certain thing. Yeah. Like if we have everyone come over to play magic and we're talking well, about then like we can talk about deep magic, magic combos. Okay, everyone's in on that. But if it's just like we're the proximity-based friend group and we're going to go out to dinner, you can't have an in-depth discussion about linguistics. Yeah. It just doesn't work. You got to cut it short or else you start to feel weird when everybody else is just like, hmm. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, there there is a little bit of a contradiction coming to my mind, though. And maybe maybe it's maybe the group thing works when not everyone in the group knows each other, because what's coming to my memory now is that you and I went to this dinner at Ophelia's a few months ago that um, my friend Matt and I set up with some other entrepreneurs around Denver, and we didn't know hardly any of them. I only knew Matt. Yeah. And that ended up being kind of different because instead of everyone at the at the table trying to converse as one group, it kind of split off. And I don't think I talked to you. No, we basically at all. we split the table. Yeah, I was like basically. sitting next to you, but I never said a word to you that whole dinner after we had sit, not sat down because I ended up talking to just two people the whole time about YouTube and video stuff. And I don't know what you were talking about the whole time, but it was totally mm-hmm. different. Piano and languages and some other nonsense. You know, actually, I like it better that way because splitting off, this may seem counterintuitive, so maybe it's worth throwing out there. But I was always told, like, take speech class with your friends. They'll make you feel safe. I am way more socially confident not with my friends. Yeah. Because if I'm with my friends, I know that the context they see me in is different. And if I'm trying to be, like, professional or different somewhere else or meet people and show a different side of me, Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to hold it back to be what my friends expect or if okay. I make a fool of myself, my friends will now know that forever. So I'm going to, they're like going to remember that. Yeah. But so I feel like I'm allowed to be whoever I want with new people. And since we didn't talk at all, I had no weird like, oh, that's a funny joke that Tom would know, but this guy wouldn't know it. So I'm not, I have to balance like, am I talking mostly to Tom or mostly to this guy? Am I mostly within my normal comfort joke zone or that stuff? Or. Am I completely new learning about this person? If I'm all in on the new people, I can focus better on not just talking about inside stuff. That was actually really good. When I noticed that you started talking to other people without including me, I was actually very relieved because this isn't something that I thought about you personally, but it's more just um, a part of my personality where if I go to a social event and it's a social event where it's like, a bunch of people that I don't really know. If I happen to bring a friend with me, 
unless that friend is somebody who I know is like just as socially confident and extroverted as I am, or somebody who is just as into whatever the context of the event is. So like if we were going to a WordCamp or something like, and if I brought another WordPress developer, yeah, that would be fine. But if it's like Anna coming with me to a business meetup, I kind of know that I'm the businessy entrepreneurial person in the couple and she's not. So I feel like I have to be the person that's like bringing her into conversations. I feel like this little bit of obligation to make sure that the night is going well for her as well. And while that's fine, it puts a bit of pressure, like negative pressure on me that can make me feel less confident socially. Whereas, like you said, if I'm alone, there's no inhibitions like that. I just can go up to somebody and have a conversation and I can truly focus on what they're saying. I can truly let the conversation become immersive without this like little thing in the back of my head going, oh, how many seconds has it been since you brought Anna into the conversation or brought Martin into the conversation? Yeah. Or uh, do you need to look over there to make sure they're actually talking to somebody instead of sitting at the wall on their phone or something like that? And then if you overcorrect, it might actually be more awkward because they'll feel awkward. You keep calling out to them or the yeah. other people will be like, I see what they're doing. So. So that person is pretty shy, huh? Now I should I should pay attention and try to make them feel good too. But they don't want to be pitied. So now there's like this it, – it could get bad if you overcorrect. Yeah, I found that it takes a certain amount of skill to be the person who guides another person into a conversation if they're not necessarily very extroverted. Unless, unless they happen to click with that person well. Uh, that being said, if you are the socially confident person, that's a very nice thing to be able to do for someone. Yeah. Like I will say maybe you prefer going to a networking event alone because you don't want your best friends to see you in a different context. That isn't something that everyone else shares. Um, I know a lot of people would much rather go to a networking event with somebody they're comfortable being around. Oh, yeah. Like Anna would much rather go to, say, FinCon or VidCon with me because she's not the kind of person who's confident enough to go up and just talk to people. And while I would love for her to develop that ability, I'm not just going to, you know, say I'm not going with you or I'm going to leave you alone. I'm going to go over oh, here. Yeah. Like that's just going to cause anxiety. So if you have a good friend who can help be that extroverted person that can kind of guide you into conversations and help you get to practice, take them along. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a reason people say take speech class with your friends, because for a lot of people that does make it better. Mm -hmm. I just want to make just if you if that doesn't seem to be helping you, then you know, maybe try it the other way because following the common advice probably just works for the average person. And yeah. for me, that would make me feel way more self-conscious. So it's worth not blindly following. I think with what speech class, right. I would agree with you. And actually, you know what? Um, this is bringing back some memories. So when I spoke at FinCon last year, Anna was in the room with me and that gave me anxiety. Because I'm like, okay, if I say something stupid or if I screw up, all these other people, they're going to give me the speaker's benefit of the doubt. Oh, yeah. But Anna's going to make fun of me later. Yep. And I know it's going to be all in good fun and like in a loving way, but still, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. So there was like a little bit there. And I mean, I've spoken enough in public where it wasn't too big of an issue and I was able to do the presentation, but it was still kind of, there was a bit of weirdness there. So I could, I think I would be on your side of the fence yeah. when it comes to speech classes. Yeah, mostly I'm trying to just like, like know yourself in this situation. Mm -hmm. Don't other people cannot tell you the answer to which one is going to make you feel better. So yeah. don't just listen to somebody. Okay. 
I had something I want to talk about, and I'm not sure if you had this written down. I just kind of brain we'll dumped out. a few points of my own. Um, I want to talk about something called the three second rule. I did have that in there. Did you? Okay. So the three second rule in a nutshell is if you see somebody that you want to go talk to, could be a girl at the bar, could be the speaker who just gave an amazing presentation and who you followed on Twitter forever and you think is literally God, or could just be a cool looking person over there who has a Disney pin on their shirt and you like that movie. Within three seconds, you make the decision to go talk to them because there is always this creeping doubt that comes in that, oh, she's with friends right now. She wouldn't want to be bothered by a creepy guy. Well, I mean, if you know you're creepy, that's... Don't be creepy. <laughs> you know, that's maybe like, don't look like that dude from Lord of the yeah, Rings. Extra tip. Don't be creepy. Who's like the advisor to the king. Just don't look like him. Pro tip. Um, I forget his name. But there's always the creeping doubt that comes in. Oh, the speaker just got off stage and now there's a bunch of people lining up. You know, they they just want to get back to their hotel room. They don't want another person coming up and asking for a selfie or a handshake or whatever. Actually, pro tip, don't ask for selfies. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. If Some people, people are going to, I, I'm never mad when people ask me for selfies at like VidCon or any conference. I'm fine with it. And when people like there have been people who have met me in Denver and they ask for a selfie and I'll do and it. You're cool with it. Personally. I'm cool with it. Personally, I'm cool with it. I think most YouTubers are actually cool with it. The reason I say don't ask for selfies is actually a tip for the person asking. It's, it's, it's less to be considerate of the famous person you're talking to, there is a little bit of that. But the majority of this is that if you come up and immediately ask for a selfie, then the first impression that that famous YouTuber or whoever it is gets of you is that you want something from them. Oh. It's just, you know, it's just like, yeah. oh, I'm just another notch in your belt. You just want to put on Instagram that you met Morgan Freeman or whoever it is. Like, look, guys, I met this person. Whereas if, you come up and you say, Hey, I really like your work. And you start a conversation with me and I can actually talk with you for a bit. It's very likely that I'm going to say, Hey, let's take a selfie at the end of it. Anyway, you're going to get what you wanted, but you're not forming a first impression that's based on selfishness. Yeah. And they might actually, what if they like you? What if you become best friends with Morgan Freeman? Exactly. It's probably not going to happen if the only thing he knows about you is that you wanted a selfie. And I have experience with this. I'm friends with Hank Green because when I got to meet him, I didn't say, can I get a selfie? You didn't like fan I had a conversation, a real conversation with them. And I, I'll tell you, as somebody who has a limited amount of experience with being in the public eye, and I think you have this a little bit too, um, and I, I don't want to like say I'm super famous because I'm not like a Logan Paul or somebody who gets totally mobbed by people who you're talking about. So fame is pretty relative. It's it looks true. like it really is. Or, you know, a, a, any Hollywood star. The moment people see a Hollywood star on the street, they're going to start gushing and fanboying and all that stuff and, and putting them on a pedestal. Yeah. And that's a human being that you're putting on a pedestal. They don't want to be there. They want a genuine human connection, just like any other human being wants. They would love for you to come up, be chill. Sure. Say, I love your work. I loved you in the town, Ben Affleck. It's a great movie, but I'm not going to fangirl and gush and make you feel awkward in the Starbucks. I'll just have a conversation with you if you happen to be free. Otherwise, I'll just say, hey, I love your work. That's cool. Yeah. I've always, like, I've thought this for years. If I ever ran into Snoop somewhere, I'd just be like, what's up, Snoop? And then I'd just leave. Like, I wouldn't even try to bother him or ask for a fault. I'd just be like, hey. Yeah. 
I like your stuff. Go about your day. Exactly. We're both busy. Mm-hmm. And there, I have a few. Unless it was Reggie Fils-Aimé. <laughs> Would you fan I, girl? I, w- I would fan boy and fan girl for Reggie Fils-Aimé. <laughs> I'm sorry, Reggie. Uh, what, what was the game that we were at, like begging Reggie to make happen on a podcast a while ago? I don't know. I probably something dumb. Probably with Waluigi because I love Waluigi. It probably was but Waluigi. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe it was Pokemon on the Switch. But with anybody else that wasn't Nintendo-based, I think I could control myself. I wouldn't even do it with Reggie. I would. You know, because you, you I never have to. It's know. for the story. Okay, you could do it for the story. Sure. You never know what's going to happen in the future. If there's going to be an opportunity that comes up to work with that person. And if the first impression that they have of you is, oh, it's that person who just fangirled over me and asked me for a selfie and then they were out, like, it's not a good first impression. But if you were that chill person who just talked to them like a real human being, then there might actually be an opportunity for you to be friends with them like real human beings do in the future. Yeah. And I've had experiences in the past where I let my excitement get the better of me and I ran up and asked for a selfie and then I haven't talked to the person since, you know, and I don't like lay awake at night being like, oh my God, the guy from Epic Rap Battles of History probably thinks I'm a a jerk for asking for a selfie. Tom hasn't slept for days. (laughs) But if I could go back, I wouldn't have immediately asked for a selfie. I would have just talked with him, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So don't do that. Uh, But three second rule which is, I think, I think that's where we started this rant. Yeah, tangent. I think it was. This will probably be a long episode. <laughs> it, it might be. That's fine. Go up and say hi to the person. Yeah, just within three seconds. Just, just decide, hey, what's going on? You know, or, or find something interesting about them that you can comment on to start a conversation. And this is another tip that I didn't write. Oh no, I did write down here. Immediately take an interest in something that they're talking about, or maybe they're wearing like really cool shoes or something. Yeah. You can come up with something that they're clearly interested in because they decided to wear it, decided to buy it, and you can use that to start a conversation. Yeah, and at first it's just a compliment. You're like, that is a dope shirt. Mm-hmm. Then if they're receptive, you just, where'd you get that? Now it's a conversation. They're answering a question. Questions are the basis of conversation. Yeah, exactly. Now we're not talking about your pickup artist technique crap whatever that's well i keep picturing owen is. wilson i'm not trying to pick up owen, owen wilson. wilson i'm picturing him <laughs> with a dope shirt and he's like holding a dog i don't know why i love there's, you and you me and dupree there, man you know honestly there's <laughs> literally no reason for me to picture this but <laughs> why, why is you me and dupree the first movie that comes to mind when i think of owen wilson i, I haven't even seen it i don't know i've seen shanghai the first celebrity i go to i don't know man maybe you just really maybe you and owen wilson would have like a great connection maybe you guys we met. would <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, three seconds. Yeah, three go seconds. Up and say something. Make that decision. Go up and say something. If the conversation is short and sweet, that is just practice. Well, that's Nothing fine. Bad happen. They might talk to you again later because you mm-hmm. didn't pressure them with like a three-hour conversation the first time and make them have to forcefully say, "I gotta go over here." That's a bad way to have that conversation end. You should just end it at a good, you know, quit while you're ahead. Yeah. And there's there's always context-based fallback topics that you can often go to that are not the weather, that are not boring things. But if you happen to be talking to two people, you can say something like, how do you guys know each other? Yeah. Because that gives them an opportunity to tell a story. If you're talking to somebody who's alone, maybe you're in college, you can ask them, hey, what are you majoring in? Or what is your favorite class you're taking right now? What's your I remember, favorite Pokemon? What's your favorite Pokemon? Yeah. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? I remember when I went to WDS the first year, I met this guy named Joel. And Joel was like the most happy social person I've ever met. And the first time I met him, he's just like, hey, I'm Joel. What's your passion? 
And it was like, it was the most Portland thing <laughs> I'd ever heard. But it was interesting because most people just ask like, what do you do for work? Or what do you do? You know, the, uh, what do you do for work is a triggering question for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, if you ask me what I do for work, um, I often get a weird anxiety because I often feel like I'm bragging if I tell people what I do for work. Like, I'm a professional YouTuber or something like that. Yeah. But most people are just going to be like, oh, I work at Deloitte or something. Yeah, but they might have, like, the super awesome thing they're into in all their free time, and they wish you would have asked about that. Mm -hmm. Like, but I'm actually training for a half Ironman, and this weekend I'm going up to Mount Evans to run up to the peak, like – Maybe that's going to be something they're going to be much more interested in talking about than, yeah, I, um, you know, I'm a claims adjuster. Did you like have an answer immediately to what's your passion? Because like maybe for some people that'd be like, uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure I have so one. I, thought, I don't know what it is yet. <laughs> I thought that what's your passion came off a bit strong. Okay. Because I still don't know. I, and I think you and I had a discussion about this once. I don't have a passion. I have intense interest in certain things and then I often drop those things and I get intensely interested in another thing for a while. Yeah. And I kind of like just build up this collection of things that I was interested in. I'm still – I have a certain interest in all of them and I built up like a certain skill and base of knowledge in all those things. So like right now my intense interest is in cryptocurrency and the parkour class I'm taking tonight. Those are the two things I'm super into right now. Yeah. So a what's while a, ago, what's it was it? skateboarding and cycling and, I don't know, Magic the Gathering. Yeah. All kinds of things. I'm getting back into so Magic. So you could say, what are you really into right now? Yeah. What would you be doing right now if you weren't here? Uh, I would be reading Bitcoin books. There we go. Right now, now I know what you're into. Yep. Bitcoin and books. I'm going to have to like. It's some, some way to tone that down. That way it's not like if, if I give you an answer <laughs> that's not quite my perfect passion, then I just mm-hmm. feel like I lied to you. Hmm. Now on the flip side, if somebody asks you that question. Don't be afraid to say what it is, even if you think it's embarrassing. Great example. My girlfriend, Anna, loves to customize dolls, likes to make the clothes, likes to yep. do like the face painting thing. Um, she has her own YouTube channel for it. And yet we would go to certain networking events or like we'd go to, out to dinner with people and people would ask, hey, what do you do in your free time? And she felt embarrassed to say what it is because in her mind it's like I really like this thing but some people don't really like that thing and so she wouldn't she would either not say it or she'd kind of hem and haw for a bit before finally like I customize dolls you know and I talked to her I'm like if if you like that thing then confidently say you like that thing for one of two reasons number one if the person that you're talking to really hates that thing why do you want to know them anyway What's the point? Unless you're going to get into like <laughs> a really it's good like, philosophical debate on the merits sure. of doll making. Yeah. But, you know, if that's if the kind of person, you know, that's the kind of person they're going to be. I'll love to talk to that person because they want to argue and I love arguing. But if they're going to be like, you like that, I'm out. Like, OK, <laughs> I just dodged a bullet. I'm going to waste you. my time with you. Thank you for saying that and leaving. Yeah. But also, you know how like 20 years ago gaming was seen as a hobby for nerds? Like yeah. the typical picture of a gamer was a basement up dwelling. Like, yeah, like, you know. I'm going to put you in this locker or something to that effect, I think. Exactly, yeah. You know, I just play StarCraft for 20 hours a day and eat nothing but Cheetos and Mountain Dew. That was kind of the gamer picture. And there's certainly, like, still a little bit of that, but a lot more people play video games now. And you got commercials where celebrities are playing video games. And they had Conan O'Brien playing, like, Call of Duty or something. Like, that hobby has come a long way. 
and the social stigma around it has largely gone away. And I think that part of the reason for that is that gradually over time, you get people who say, I'm a gamer. And then the people they're talking to go, wait, you don't look like a typical gamer. Yes, then, then they can't make those assumptions you're like about a you healthy, that were fit, negative. You know, well-adjusted adult with a 401k and you play Call of Duty as well. Oh, you know, and then... <laughs> is that the, a PS Vita? Is that a PS Vita? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Underwood doesn't look like a gamer. That's true. Yeah. Um, and then the perception of that hobby shifts. Gradually over time, people are like, that's actually a cool thing to do. Snoop Dogg plays video games. I guess it's cool, you know? Yeah. So if you confidently say, I customize dolls, it's really fun. I love, you know, figuring out how to do all these different shading techniques on the cheeks and eyes and stuff. People are going to start thinking that's more and more of a normal hobby and more of a cool thing. Yeah, honestly. Because they associate, it's, it's um, social proof, actually. This is a very good concept for this episode. People, they place a lot of their opinion in what is the right thing to do or the normal thing to do in what they see other people doing and their perception of those other people. So when they see the leader or the cool person doing a certain thing, they associate that thing as being cool. Yeah. Or being the right thing to do. Or like maybe they secretly wanted to make dolls this whole time and now they're like, well, she's making dolls and nobody here like threw rocks at her. Why would they do that? I, yeah. don't, I don't know why I picture everything the way I do. But then now I can do it because mm-hmm. somebody has proven that it's okay. Ooh, that, that brings up an interesting question. Do you have anything that you secretly want to do but you think is like weird that you're like too scared to try because you would feel weird for doing it? That like I feel wouldn't mesh with other people's perceptions of me or something. Yes, maybe because I think that you are the kind of person who can rationally say any pursuit is worth doing if you're passionate about it, and you can point to somebody who does it. But there's there's always a divide between that knowledge and being comfortable enough to do it yourself. Um, I don't know. Most of the things I like to do are pretty in line with what people probably already know about me geek out about linguistics nonsense and stuff the one thing i can think of that i kind of want to do at some point but that doesn't line up with anything else really is that i wouldn't mind riding a horse from a location to like another location like across a trail you know not just in a circle or something like a trip but like a horseback yeah just like even if it was small because like it would maybe feel like i was in a fantasy book or something just one with nature sort of i am partnering with this animal to go through nature or something that doesn't line up with like anything else i like and I think it's kind of like I'm not that into horses. I just think it would be cool to ride one through some naturey thing and be in a completely non-technology driven, partnered with a with another creature kind of situation. It's a very nature kind of thing. Nerd, <laughs> nerd, nerd. Is that is that the right horse nerd? What's that even mean? You're a horse nerd. But yeah, see, that's <laughs> a great example. Uh, for me, the first one that comes to mind is figure skating. You look at a guy like me and you're like, that's not what a figure skater looks like. A figure skater looks like a six-year-old girl. And I was keenly aware of that when I started doing it. And at first I was a little bit embarrassed, but I was like, you know what? This thing is really fun. And I'm just going to confidently say it when people ask me what I do in my spare time. I do figure skating. I have a competition this weekend. And invariably the reaction was always, really? And then they'd be like, I really wouldn't picture a guy like you doing that. And then they're like, that's actually really cool. And some people were like, I'm really glad that you're so confident about that. 
Like, but, there were people who were kind of glad that I was trying to break the stereotype, I guess. And I don't really know if there's a huge stereotype against it because there's lots of... I don't know. Like, the one male coach at the rink I used to skate at was bigger and more muscular than me. So, yeah. I, it's I not like know. it's all just, like, tiny, frail but, guys and women. But it's it's just not something that you look at a guy like me and think it's that's not the what I would do yeah. on my weekend mornings or something. You know, and, and there are other things that I have always wanted to do. I kind of grew up with a dad who was like a manly man and lifted weights and rode motorcycles and all that kind of stuff. So there's this like programming in my head that's like, if you want to go take acting classes or you want to go dance, that's weird. But it's not weird. And if I make the decision to go do those things and then confidently say I do them, it becomes less weird. Well, I, I think- break the stigma. The weird things are actually kind of more exciting to talk about anyway, mm-hmm. because maybe somebody won't like them, but you don't talk to them anyway. But I think a lot of people will respect when you're just so upfront about an honest thing, because if you're like, hey, Martin, what, what do you do on weekends? And I'm just like, I like to hang out, watch Netflix. Like, sure, those things are fine. But like everyone else also does. I told you nothing about me. I'm. Yeah. It's almost like I'm intentionally hiding my real personality from you by resorting to a neutral, oh, I breathe. I like to eat food. What's up? Mm-hmm. I like money. But I can't believe you like money, too. Yeah, it's just the weird things are going to make you stand out. Who's that person that makes dolls? I want to I wanna hang out with her. There's, yeah. like, you're memorable now. And you know what? You know our big group of Denver friends that we didn't make a really huge connection with, like, intimately for a long time? Yeah. One of them just came over like last week and spent the whole afternoon working on dolls with Anna. Yeah, see, and she was like super into it. There and you she go. She was having so much fun. I don't think she'd done much of it before. There you go. So, and you know, weird I go stuff do is good hiking stuff. Be weird. The other thing, not too weird. Of course, everyone watches Netflix, but also nobody can really be that enthusiastic about the fact that they watch Netflix. Now, maybe if I start talking if about you're a like specific, a, maybe if you're a movie critic. Well, if you talk about a specific movie with me, and I love that movie then we'll have a great conversation. But if it's just like, you know, I just kind of hang out, like it's it's just what you do and you're not talking about any specific movie or anything, there's no enthusiasm there. You can't be enthusiastic about the fact that you watch Netflix until I ask you what's your favorite movie. Then you might be. Yeah. If I'm talking about the fact that I really am interested in blockchain technology right now or that you're really interested in taking a horse trip, you're enthusiastic. And again, there's that social proof and just network effects, essentially. People look to the enthusiastic person and they become enthusiastic themselves. So if you choose to be confident about the things that you're really into and you share them with other people, your enthusiasm permeates the whole group. And I've kind of noticed that this very podcast has become more energetic and more fun as we started talking about things that we're interested in. It being the generic first, is really low energy. Yeah. You know, the first few tips, like they were good, it's but there was a little bit less enthusiasm in them. It was just like, yeah, you should probably dress well and brush your teeth every once in a while. That might be a decent see, idea. See, they're, they're useful, <laughs> but they're not as like, I'm actually passionate about getting dressed in the I morning. I am so passionate about my teeth. You don't even, <laughs> I think about them all day. It's actually kind of a problem. <laughs> now you can go deeper, right? If I, I, you know, I can say I like to dress well and that's boring, but I could also say I'm actually really into clothes. And the other day I went out and bought a suit. I really like the fact that it has peak lapels instead of the notch lapels that most suits come with. Like we can actually start talking about the suit itself. If you're into that. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys secretly are, they're just very confused and don't know where to start. 
then you can have a great close, conversation close about are that. pretty confusing. I'll mm-hmm. give you that. I'll tell you, when I started actively learning how to dress well, my social confidence went up a lot. And I never did it for the longest time because I would walk into a store and I'd be like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'd freeze. Yeah. I don't, what, what do I buy? So I went on the internet. I started watching Alpha M and Real Men Real Style and some other cha- channels. And um, there's a Reddit called Male Fashion Advice. Just sort of browsing that and just sort of absorbed a little bit of knowledge. Like, oh, you should get this kind of a cut on your suit. Or you should look for fit mm-hmm. before all of the things. Um, here's how you can roll your sleeves up properly. And uh, like with my hair. In high school, I never knew how to style my hair. And the only time I ever went to a salon, they gave me the worst haircut ever. So I basically told myself, okay, my hair actually is just weirdly genetically bad and can't be styled correctly. So the only thing I can do is buzz it all. Like I told myself that for years. Like nobody could cut it so it's attractive. That couldn't happen. And uh, my dad actually has that belief too. So I think it came from that. And then I just spent like five or six years cutting my hair myself, one length, whatever, didn't care. And then started watching those channels, went to a conference, met Antonio, met Aaron, and started taking myself more seriously, but also having the confidence to experiment and go learn things and actually try them. So then I went to a different hair salon, obviously not great clips because that's where they gave me the bad haircut. Yeah, well, those franchises, what are you going to do? Actually, I go to a franchise now. Well, I mean like it's a hit or miss. It's true. It is hit or miss. Yeah. And at this point I have one person who cuts my hair because she does a great job, but I went there and I'm like, okay, you know, I don't really know what I want, but here's some movie actors that have cool looking hair. And they're like, well, that's a good starting point. Thanks for giving me a little bit of an idea. Now I'm the expert. So I will try to make something looks good. Yeah. You know, and then once you see the, um, it work once, you've kind of like unlocked that confidence now. You're like, oh my God, I actually don't have weird genetically freaky hair that's going to be bad forever. I just didn't know how to properly style it. And I just didn't know how to dress well, but now I do. I think a lot of confidence is derived from knowledge. But paradoxically, you have to have the confidence to go and get the knowledge, which often includes just experimenting with things. Yeah, that stuff can be pretty overwhelming at first, Mm -hmm. but you got to unlock it. There's a lot of unlocking to do. Yeah. Um, that's actually all that I wrote down. But then oh, again, okay. I, gave, okay. I gave you the research for this okay. episode. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So last thing we mentioned that was on here was uh, three-second three, three second rule, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, extra for that, I'd like to point out that the long the reason you, that quick is better, the longer that I'm in a room with somebody and I've, like, glanced over, like I wanted to talk to them a few times and it, Every minute that passes, I feel weirder for not saying something. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, well, if I go talk to them now, they're going to be like, well, why didn't you talk to me earlier, you socially anxious weirdo? <laughs> and it's, so it gets harder. So mm-hmm. The sooner is better. It's kind of like the thing where you don't know their name. Like, yeah. Rip the yeah, band-aid. You have that. to ask that. early Because, you know, you can, you can go for like weeks. I don't know that person's name, but it's actually been like a month. Yeah, now it's weird to ask. <laughs> you didn't know my name this whole time. And... Like, I think I know what it is, but I should have asked day one because now I'm just really confused and I hope to God somebody says it. This is going to make me sound really creepy, but earlier in my life, um, because I knew how the campus directory worked well and I knew how Facebook <laughs> worked, I'd meet somebody, forget their name, but know their major. So and then I'd be start like, looking through people's <laughs> just look at the <laughs> university directory and be like, okay, that's their name. <laughs> yeah, see, you know what's better than that is just saying, your name was something 
right? It was yep. Freddie Mercury, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. That's- well, there's also like sometimes I'll do like the surreptitious introduction to somebody else and then they'll introduce themselves. Oh, if you'll I, try to like a little bit of a delay. to sneak in there. <laughs> Get their name. <laughs> Though that's risky because if they don't introduce themselves, you're just like, I want to introduce and you this to this is my friend. I'm uh, sorry. This was this was a gamble. It Bud. didn't pay off. His name's Bud or like pal, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not your pal guy. Uh, so, yeah, that's a thing. Um, I would also point out that the biggest thing that is in here is listening more because mm. people – like to talk about themselves. Yeah. And I know that includes you, but this time you're trying to be social. So ignore that you like to talk about yourself. Mm-hmm. Basically, in most conversations, the average person is listening to respond. They're like, I just thought of a really witty thing that I'm going to say to that sentence. I hope that I get to say it now. Yeah. So I'm going to wait until they stop saying it. Then I'm going to say it. Well, too bad because they just changed topics. And now it's clear you were not listening in the slightest. Mm-hmm. And what if something they were about to say actually gives you a question, but you're so focused on saying your piece that you don't want to follow up with a question and learn more about them. Yeah. And I can't remember who said it, but there is a quote where somebody said something to the effect of you'll get way more friends by being interested in people than by trying to be interesting. Yes. Well, interested is interesting. Yeah. It's, it's better. It's not like I'm not going to go make friends by talking about how cool I am. They're just going to think that I am a huge tool and that I should stop bragging about myself. And like, I, I I like tons of things. There are a lot of variety of things I'm into, but Mm -hmm. if I go list them to somebody, they are going to be so sick of talking to me. But if I ask questions about them and then over the course of our new blossoming friendship, they find out stuff about me, they can think I'm interesting too, but I'm supposed to learn about them. Yeah. Plus a lot of people will perceive that kind of bragging as a way to cover up a low self-esteem and low social confidence. Yeah. Like a lot of people use that as kind of like a shield or something. Like you should, you don't need to prove yourself mm-hmm. to every person you meet. You don't need to be like, listen, I, I know I'm approaching you and I know I'm so unworthy, but let me list why I might be worthy. Okay. Let me tell you all the oh, stuff I did. That reminds me of something that I have, I have struggled with for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. There will be somebody who I really like in like a professional capacity, like a writer who I really like, or another YouTuber or something. And I'm like, I should reach out to that person. And then my brain will go, you're not cool enough yet. So you need to wait Mm. until you have 10,000 subscribers. Otherwise they're going to see those four digits instead of five. And they're going to think that you are a small fish or something like that. Like I always (laughs) feel like I have to be, I have to be leveled up in some way to even get on their radar which is totally antithetical to the way that I think is the best method for building connections professionally, which is fan first. I like your stuff. I share your stuff. I support you. Eventually there's a connection, whether through me just emailing you or through some coincidence, like we're at the same conference or something like that. Yeah. And then, you know, you can become friends organically that way. Benny Lewis is a good example. For the longest time, I was like, Benny Lewis is a god of blogging, and he's got all these fans, and <laughs> yes, oh my god, we're nothing. I am a god. And then when I was in New York a couple of months ago, he came to my meetup. Like, he's just a The dude. reason that happens is because, again, yeah, he's just he a dude. He does cool stuff. He does cool stuff. Dude. But people don't want to make connections with other people just because they also are famous or do cool stuff or whatever. You know? I have a lot of friends who don't do the same things I do, but I want to hang out with them because I like them as yeah. people. Well, and if if everybody's afraid to like 
talk to you and they all put you on some pedestal, you don't get to ever be a regular human. You're mm-hmm. like constantly in showing and professional mode. Yeah. I will say so. That'd be lonely. The time when you want to be leveled up, quote unquote, for something is if for some reason you want to start the relationship out with um, something transactional or something that you want. Like now, I inter- don't recommend like an interview this. or something. Maybe an interview. I don't often recommend doing this, but the one one example I can think of recently is the guys behind the Wisecrack channel on YouTube. They do Thug Notes and lots of other series. They sent me an email and I had never met them before and they wanted to do a collaboration. So the subject line was like collab with Wisecrack parentheses 1.8 million subs. So this maybe sounds selfish or something, but like in my brain there's like, okay, clearly they want something from me, but they have a huge platform. I can immediately make the connection from that to this will be beneficial for me to do. Yeah. So normally where I would want to organically build the relationship, it's like, okay, Clearly, I can benefit from you in this situation. You can benefit from me in this situation. It's a business transaction um, that is based on the fact that I do like your content already. I'm not just going to advertise literally anyone. Like if Jake Paul reached out, I wouldn't do it with him because I don't respect him. But I respected their work. Whoever that is. Somebody I don't respect. That's basically (laughs) you don't need to know anymore. Um, There was like a mutual respect based on the work that we had seen of each other. And then there was the clear business case for collaborating. Now we met at VidCon after we had done that. And because we had done that, there was like initial connection. And now I am friends with those people. So it's not like a relationship that is built on a selfish or transactional reason can never become a true friendship. It's just that I usually don't recommend going that way. But if you are going to go that way, then you do need a lead with something that's going to be instantly recognizable to them as beneficial because I've had people who reach out to me and if you're watching this, don't do this. They'll reach out to me as a YouTuber with like 50 subscribers and they'll be like, Hey, I want to collab with you. And it's the first thing I've ever heard from them. Like clearly they just want your audience, right? It's just like, no, you don't want to collab with me. You want to benefit from my bigger audience because if I collab with you, I'm going to invest a bunch of time and I won't get anything from it. Now, I'm not going to think that way if it's a really good friend of mine who has 50 subscribers because I like working with them. I'm going to have fun doing something with them. I don't care what the benefit is or not. I've collabed with people who are smaller than me. That's fine. But it's because I like them. In that case, it's not really a business transaction. It's like yeah. a friend thing. Exactly. It's it's a friend thing. Yeah. But when you're selling stuff, it's, it's okay to turn down the humility a little bit because you're selling something and you don't want to waste their time being coy. Mm-hmm. Like if my personal website just says, I do some things. Sometimes I'm proud of it. And that's the whole thing. That's it. Yeah. Like that doesn't, that's not what you came to my personal website. You came to right. probably learn about what I do. You're already asking me the question indirectly. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Yeah. Your personal website is not but, a tool for organic friendship building. Yeah. For me, it would be like if I was speaking right now at schools, it would be like, this dude is legit. You should hire him and pay him thousands of dollars to come speak at your school because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But in person and in, and not in a business setting where mm-hmm. you're selling something, it just comes off yeah. bad. So with withhold those cool things about you until there is a natural context to bring them up. Um, now, the one caveat to this I want to say is it isn't always good to just be interested in other people because for people to want to make a connection with you, they have to be interested in you as well. 
Oh, yeah. If you're just this blank slate who's just like, I'm really interested in you. Well, in a fan situation, it can be very much like that. Like, I just love everything you do. Um, don't ask me about right. me. What are you doing? Tell me. How was your day? Mm-hmm. So, it's, which is why when um, when people recognize me in public, I will almost always try to shift the conversation to what they are doing or what they're interested in as soon as I can. Because I'm always a little bit uncomfortable talking about myself, especially since I feel like they already know about me. It's like they're asking <laughs> you to brag. Yeah. And I, I feel uncomfortable with that, Shower even though I'm just like, greatness. yeah, even though I know they, maybe they want me to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. So I will try to shift it over to them. But that's, that context works because they are already interested in me. But if you come up as a blank slate person and there's nothing initially interested about, interesting about you, or you don't exude something, then maybe someone will be happy to talk about themselves but if you don't eventually bring up something that you're interested in or, or kind of contribute to the conversation, it's very one-sided. Well, it you doesn't could have been replaced long. by anyone else that exactly. would have asked them about just, hey, talk about – like if there's a really attractive person at the bar, right? Yeah. They probably already had a bunch of people come and ask them about them. Yeah. So what makes you different than the other people that want to know about them? Mm-hmm. There's got to be – it can't be all on one side of the conversation. That's the reason, and I mean, th- th- this is not an endorsement of this at all because I think it's awful, but it's, it's the reason nagging works, which for people who don't know, in the pickup I artist community, um, people who like want to pick up girls at a bar will often use a technique called nagging, which means you come up and you say something that's like slightly negative about them. It's not, it's not like, wow, you're uh. ugly, but it's just something that's like got a little undercurrent because the... The idea is you make them subconsciously want to prove themselves to you, but it's also a, it it builds a contrast to the 18 other guys who have come up and said, can I buy you a drink? Man, you're beautiful. And that they don't say anything about themselves. They don't exude anything interesting. Yeah. It's just like, you're just like the other guy who just came up and asked me that. So, well, this is a, not a technique that I think anyone should do. And I kind of hate it in better ways. I hate that technique. It's why it works. Because it creates a contrast. It creates something different to that just blandness. You, you stood out. Yeah, you make you're, yourself you're stand out. You're the one out. guy I now want to prove myself to it's for the reason whatever why reason. They'll also wear crazy clothes and like platform shoes with fish in them or some stupid stuff like that. It's like they're creating an aura about themselves of interestingness in some way. Yeah. If you could do that with without the really like sleazy stuff though, mm-hmm. it, it would probably end better. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just like. You're now the fish magic shoes, though. I, I am very interested in the fish shoes. The I'm fish be shoes, I definitely recommend them. I'm recommend fake shoes and or fake fish. Yes, I was. I was going to be like, I want to know: is there enough water in there? What's the swim? Is that okay for the fish? Do they like it in there? I don't think they. How would. often do you feed them? I just how can't big imagine. the shoes need to be huge. Can you wear That's giant true. aquariums on your feet so that the fish have enough swimming space? To if be you're happy? strong enough. That, oh man, that would be really heavy. Okay, that's and not, his fish tank is like a hundred pounds. You better not skip leg day. Hundred pound shoes, right? Well, hey, don't skip leg day if you want to. You know, if you want to have aquarium feet, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I don't know what that means. Can that anymore. be the title that's, of this episode? Yeah. Don't skip leg day if you want to have aquarium feet. Yep, that's a good title. <laughs> if this is one of those episode comedy 181. podcasts, <laughs> that would be the title. <laughs> okay, so I got one more thing in here, and okay. this, this comes a little bit back to the building your own confidence and self-image and I think it's a little dangerous and I've done it and it's not good um with the internet and with the immense amount of possibilities and freedom we have to try different things it's very tempting to try and force us to be good at everything and create tons Mm -hmm. of points of failure 
for things that shouldn't be capable of being failed at. So if I suddenly put like a whole bunch of books and games and movies and also language projects and studying and all this all this stuff that I'm really passionate I like these things Mm -hmm. if I make them all obligations or if I say I have to take 10 photos every day or I'll never be a great photographer then I've created a ton of ways for me to fail in the things that I'm happy about and now I'm not going to be happy about them because I will fail most of them yeah and that is lame um I'm going to call these obligations, hobby obligations, you know. It also makes me think of Hobgoblin, which makes me think of Spider-Man. So that's great because Tobey Maguire is – I'm going to fanboy for Tobey Maguire. Spider-Man. But basically don't put so much pressure on yourself to be the greatest at everything you're doing that Mm -hmm. you end up making yourself fail things you're really passionate about because I can't fail to read enough books. What is enough books? The books that make me happy. Why should I make it a chore? Mm -hmm. How can I fail to study language if I don't set a bar that says you failed if you didn't reach this one? Yeah. And I mean, it's all right to like things to whatever degree you do. So if you make yourself into like you need to be the best at all these things, you might be a very, very interesting person. But if, if Anna decides if I don't get two million subscribers on my doll channel then I'm just, I'm bad at dolls. I need to keep making more. Now she's going to find a reason to feel really negatively about something that is fun, enjoyable, and a good thing to talk to people about. Yeah. But when I felt bad about my language learning because I had set absurd standards, was juggling too many things, and couldn't keep them all up to par while managing my life, I didn't want to mention them. I did Mm -hmm. not even want to admit that I had studied French for a while because I let it get rusty. I was ashamed of it. Yeah. It's a hobby. Who said I need to speak French? Mm -hmm. I like it. That doesn't like I made that level for me to fail at. Anybody else would have been just like, oh, that's interesting. You studied French. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So you can really you have the opportunity to crush your self-confidence with things that other people would think were cool about you. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a weird, like counterintuitive thing to watch out for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think there could be a zillion other things. Oh, we could probably talk about this forever, especially if we keep rambling about other things that we missed into. But I think this episode is long enough. I do want to recap. People have said they appreciate it when we recap things. I don't know if I can even remember all the things we talked about in this episode. Uh, we'll, we'll attempt. We'll some. recap some stuff. So we started with take your appearance seriously. Dress well. Shower. Whatever it is. Be confident in yourself by the way you dress. and the yeah, way you, Make your identity concrete through right. external things. Um, use the three second rule when you want to talk to somebody. Go up and just say hi. Don't let the anxiety and the doubt creep in. Don't even give it a chance. Um, Let's see here. We talked about the value of like practicing, just viewing every social interaction as an opportunity for practice. Um, In big groups of friends, take the time to invite one of them to go do things so you build deep friendships and you're not just relying on the memes and jokes of the group. Eventually you're 40 and you don't care about the memes anymore. (laughs) Yep, that's true. I don't know. We'll see. Well, the memes I'll, shift I'll to dad still, jokes. I'll still like them because, yeah, I love, I'll, I'll do some dad jokes. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What else? If you're in a social situation, you might not actually er, – let me put this another way. You might actually do better if you're not there with a friend. Yeah. So at least consider that possibility mm-hmm. rather than just assuming you need a safety net. Yeah. It's, it's one way or the other. Um, when making first impressions, number one, don't make it about – you or something you want right away, unless it is a business transaction, in which case you need to have something to sell a pitch essentially. Yeah. I guess that's a good way to frame it. 
Some things are pitches and some things are not. If you don't intend for it to be a pitch, don't make it a pitch. Conversation does not equal pitch. Yep. And don't ask for something. Um, And, man, we had a lot of things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, focus more on, on listening. You're not listening right, to listen. respond with some clever nonsense. You're listening to learn about the other person. If you happen to have clever nonsense that fits after they're done speaking, so mm-hmm. be it. And keep in mind that your first impression is incredibly important, but also that your first impression needs to be interesting in some way because there is the common advice to be interested in the other person, and you should, but at some point they have to be interested in you. And don't sell yourself so. too short either. Yeah. Don't sell yourself oh. too much, but not too short. And we almost forgot about this one. Be confident in the things you like to do, even if they're weird. Especially if they're weird. Especially if, yeah, there you go. they're probably awesome. Mm-hmm. They probably are. And you will help make those weird things a little less stigmatized. They might still be weird. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Putting knife blades on your feet and skating around on ice, kind of weird. But then again, all life is weird if you think about it. Yeah. I'm just like a weird sack of meat with like a brain thing. Yeah. And I'm making sounds. Yep. Into this thing over here. So that is my recap. I don't know. Is there anything uh, else you had? Oh, the last thing was just what I said like four seconds ago. Just don't don't put such high standards on yourself that you hate yourself for things that other people would think were cool. That's right. Yeah. Your hobbies do not need to be obligations or external measures of success. No obligations. Yes. Uh, there are a few resources I want to mention here, and as always, you can find these in the show notes. So if you're watching this on YouTube, the description down below will contain the link to those show notes. Otherwise, audio feed people can head over to cigpodcast.com slash 181. And um, if you want to go further from this conversation, one, Stefano Gandini wrote a great post on College Info Geek called The Introvert's Guide to Networking. And it is not just for networking in a business sense, but also just for social interactions in general. It's a very good, thorough post. And then the entire channel, Charisma on Command, which has like 100 videos at this point. I'm really good friends with the guys who run it, Charlie and Ben. Um, Hung out with them like the majority of my time at VidCon was actually hanging out with them. And they have fantastic content on building social confidence, building social skills, having better interactions with people. It's, it's one of like the top channels I recommend if you like my channel on YouTube. So we'll have all that in the show notes as well as anything else that we happen to mention within the episode. Yeah, We'll have to brain dump this stuff afterwards. I don't know. It's a long one. So we'll see what we can actually brain dump. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening as always. And uh, we will see you in next week's episode. If you want to see our favorite tools, resources, apps, and gear for making your college or educational experience better, collegeinfogeek.com slash resources is the place to go. I sometimes forget to mention that, but check it out. We have our list of favorite books over there. We have our dorm packing guide over there, and we have just lots of cool apps and resources. Yeah. So that'll be cool. Also in the show notes. And I think that's about it. So we will see you in next week's episode. And still, uh, until then, still then, stay cute.